Good morning. I'm Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor at Woodland Hills Church. It's good to be together with all of you and to be worshiping together. I uh, don't know how it landed with you, but I was really blessed by the worship this morning. Um, I don't know. Did you, this has been kind of going on all week because I've been preparing for this message, but do you ever have this kind of sentiment, a thought, where you just sort of say to the Lord, what do you see? I don't get it. What do you see? And maybe, maybe, in fact, I'm, I'm sure that that is exactly how it's supposed to be. I almost feel sorry for the folks who, who, who do get it, who think they get it. Oh, I, I know why God loves me. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's because I'm this, or I, I do that, or I don't, I'm not like that. But if you really understand your situation and you understand the love of God, you shouldn't get it. And that's how he overwhelms us. I don't get it. So we're in the series on scandalous love. Actually, we're not. We're done with this series. Uh, but I'm having trouble letting this one go. And so we've looked at the, as a sort of addendum to the series on scandalous love, this, we looked at the, the, the parable of the two lost sons. And I want to this morning look at the parable of the lost coin, which, which Jesus tells just before the parable of the two lost sons. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I've heard about a thousand sermons on that before. And uh, what possible new information can you give? Well, the goal here is never to give more information. Though, often you'll find if you go to the Bible with fresh eyes and an open mind, you'll find new information. But the goal is to allow the Holy Spirit yet another chance to get, to get it on the inside of us. To get the scandalous love of God from a concept up here down into the depths of our heart and into every nook and cranny and even the dark places, especially the dark places of our life, because that's where the transformation takes place. And everything that is genuine, healthy transformation in our life is done as an outworking of this love penetrating into the core of our being. So the parable of the lost coin. I'm going to title this for reasons that will be entirely obscure to you until about halfway through this message, Breaking Free or Breaking from Alan Greenspan. Alan Greenspan, as you uh, maybe know, uh, was the former chairman of the Federal Reserve in charge of monitoring the economy. And uh, remember that point when I get to it uh, about halfway or two-thirds through this, uh, the, this message. Parable of the lost coin. Now remember the context. Same context as we had with the parable of the two lost sons. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are mad because Jesus is welcoming and even having dinner with lowlifes, quote-unquote, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. They're scandalized by this. To, have, to eat, eat with somebody uh, in the ancient world uh, meant that you're saying, you are, you, you are my people. We're, we're of a tribe. And so Jesus is identifying himself in the same category as the sinners, as the tax collectors, as the prostitutes. And the Pharisees are scandalized by this because they're very, very sure that they are the special people before God because they're righteous, unlike these lowlifes. And if they're the special people before God, then, it, then the, the Messiah should be paying attention to them and welcoming them and siding with them over and against the prostitutes and the tax collectors, passing laws, lobbying against these people. Because this is the problem with the world, right? So Jesus claims to be the Messiah, but he's hanging out with all the wrong people. And this scandalizes them. 
the, the, the issue, and then Jesus tells a parable in response to that. And the issue that these parables are answering, including the parable of the lost coin that we're now going to read, is really answering this question, who does God come for? Who's special in God's eyes? Who does God come for? Which leads to the question, the most important question in the universe. The quality of your life will be determined by how you answer this question. What kind of God is God? What kind of God is God? That's even more important than the question, does God exist? Because you could answer yes to the question that God exists, but if your conception of God is all screwed up, you won't benefit from it at all. In fact, it might be better for you to believe that he didn't exist. What kind of God is God? So here's the the parable. Luke chapter 15. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully, diligently, meticulously until she finds it? And when she finds it and calls her friends and neighbors together, and she says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. My lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, one sinner who turns to the God who is this God. Pray with me, Father, give us fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh minds, and fresh hearts to receive your word anew as though for the first and last time. And Lord, find a way to wedge your profound, unfathomable, perfect love even deeper, deeper. We can never exhaust this. We can never get to the point where where we're done. So Father, uh, in in a new way, fresh way, overwhelm us with your love. Help us to see what we haven't seen before. And free us, God, from the demonic bondage of thinking that we already see it all. Free us to be your kids who just are overwhelmed by your love. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This lady lost a silver coin. Silver coin is a drachma in the Greek. Drachma, isn't it? It was a, a minimum day's wage for peasants. It wasn't a terrible amount of money. And the question we got to ask is, why was this lady so frantic in searching for a drachma? This coin that is not... Uh, all that uh, valuable. Now, in the common reading, uh, the traditional reading, which may be the right reading, I, I'm not against it, but in the, the, this is how I've interpreted it up until very recently. But uh, the understanding is that this was a peasant woman, and she had 10 drachma, 10 minimum days wage, and that was probably her life savings. So to lose one of these coins would mean she lost one-tenth of her life savings, and that's significant. So, of course, she's going to be Uh, very interested in finding this lost coin. But here's some questions about that. Is it significant that it's a woman in this story? Is that significant? Because on that interpretation, it wouldn't make a difference whether it's a man or a woman. If it's one-tenth of your savings, you'll be interested in finding the coin. Is it significant that it's silver coins, a drachma, in this story? Why not a more expensive coin? That would have added the drama and maybe made the point that Jesus is making a little bit more. How come it's a silver coin? Why is it one in ten? One of ten. Why not one of five? That would have been more dramatic. Or even the only coin this person had. Is the ten significant? Why is she so frantic about finding this coin? She lights a lamp, which, which, which suggests that this is at nighttime. Can it wait till tomorrow? 
Why is she so frantic? And then why is she so exuberant when she finds it and calls her neighbors apparently at night to have a party right then and there? Why is this so important? Why does she refer to the drachma as my coin? My coin. If I lost a dollar bill, I wouldn't say I lost my dollar. No, I'd say I lost a dollar. There's a, there's a personal dimension here that the traditional interpretation just doesn't quite capture. There's a, a, a meaning, an emotion, an attachment that this lady has to this coin, it seems to me, that uh, defies explanation on the traditional interpretation. It seems to me that this coin means something to her beyond its monetary value. She has some kind of relationship with this coin that goes beyond the fact that it's a minimum day's wage. Here's another interpretation. I first fell upon this interpretation uh, listening to a tape by Malcolm Smith, uh, one of my favorite teachers. I've never heard him live, but I've, I've, I've listened to a number of his tapes. Oh, interestingly enough, I've never bought one. I, people have always just given me tapes of his. Um, and he said, oh, I bet you'd like this guy, and I do. Uh, his ministry is called Unconditional Love. He's got the best single uh, tape series on the book of Revelation I've ever heard. Completely reframed my thinking on the book of Revelation about 20 years ago. Anyways, uh, he uh, has a uh, teaching on this parable. And um, I, I did some research this, this uh, week and, and found some things that really support his interpretation. It goes like this. We know that there was a tradition among peasants in Palestine around this time where a uh, groom in proposing to a potential bride would give her a necklace when she accepted in the betrothal uh, custom of the time this necklace and the necklace comp was comprised of ten silver coins it was like for peasants a wedding ring if you will it was a a, a sign of the covenant it was a gift uh, honoring the pledge that they had made together that they were going to be betrothed it was her wedding necklace. And in this interpretation, this lady apparently broke her necklace or somehow one of the coins got dislodged from that necklace. And this interpretation suggests that when this lady refers to my coin and my ten coins, the audience would have understood, oh, those are your ten coins, your, 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 your wedding coins. And that's why she would be so intent on finding this. It would explain why it's a woman in this story, and that that is significant. It would explain why one in ten coins is important. The ten is very significant. They always had ten coins on them. It would explain why she's so frantic, why she has to find it right then and there, why she calls this party with all of her neighbors. I found my coin, because the meaning of this coin to her has nothing to do with its monetary value. It has everything to do with the fact that this, this coin embodies uh, the, the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations and the memories of her relationship with her husband, the pledge that they've made together, it's a sign of the covenant. She's got to find this. She's got to find this. This is way more important than just an ordinary drachma. This is everything. And see, that, that this interpretation fits the context very, very well. Here, you know, Jesus is telling this parable because the, the Pharisees and the other religious folks are, are, are murmuring about who he's hanging out with. They judge this tax collector, these tax collectors and these prostitutes, they judge them according to cultural market value standards. Market value. Every culture's got a market value that it assigns to people and it assigns to things, a way of evaluating things and people. Look at this word evaluate. Evaluate. 
It, it, it means to assign value or to assign worth or to assign significance to something or to someone. Every culture does that. Every subculture within the culture does that. And it's just part of the fallen world. If Oprah Winfrey was right now sitting in the front row and you guys knew it, it would mean something. To be like, oh, look, 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 Oprah's up there. It, it would it'd mean more than Joe or me or somebody else sitting in the front row. No, because see, this is a celebrity. We attach significance, meaning, and value to the fact that a lot of people know about Oprah Winfrey and, and she's very wealthy on top of that and we attach a lot of significance to that. If she was giving this message right now, we'd have to sell tickets for people to get into the auditorium. Huh? She's, she's got a significance there. It's, no, it's totally arbitrary as to why we do that. What difference does it make that a lot of people know you? Why is that meaningful? Why is that significant? Well, why does that make you important? But we just do. And every culture is like that. Got these criteria. In America, your, your, your stock in the, in the currency of the, the cultural market, it goes up if you're a celebrity, and it goes up if you're wealthy. It goes up if you're attractive, and the culture defines what attractive is. It goes down if you're less attractive, according to the cultural standards. Your, your, your value, your significance, your currency goes up if you're young as opposed to old. It used to be the other way around, but now we're a culture that worships the youth. It goes up if you're sexy. It goes up if you're talented and have achievements. It goes up a little bit if you've got education, not as much as it did uh, 100 years ago, but we still put a significance and value on that. Your, your cultural currency go, goes up if you've got it together. If you're a together person as a person who's always messed up, we, we attach a meaning and significance to that. Your share in the marketplace goes up if you meet these criteria. It still is the case in America that uh, your market value has something to do with the color of your skin. It goes up if you're white, goes down if you're not. Most of us have heard of and know about Joan Bonet Ramsey. Uh, that you had a little uh, uh, child who was beauty queen, five-year-old, and she was murdered uh, in the 90s. And there's a lot of media attention around that, and, and it was important and just, you know, constant. Probably none of us have heard of Jakia Scales or Kimberly Arrington or J Jahi Turner or Shaikamiya Pate, African-American children who disappeared under the same circumstances, one right around the same time. And that's a pattern we find all over the place. It's because there's a meaning to whiteness. And, and the culture just decides. No one consciously thinks this. There are some who do. But for the most part, it's just sort of the air we breathe. And so some things get more coverage than others. Some tragedies more than others. In religious circles, we've got our own uh, kind of criteria as to what determines the marketplace, how we evaluate people. In conservative religious circles, your value goes up. If you agree with us in theology and your value, your currency goes up. If you agree with us in terms of politics, if you agree with our nationalism, it goes up. It goes down if you don't. And uh, there's often other behaviors that get associated, uh, assigned significance. In a lot of religious circles, you can have a heart that's full of hate and be bitter and angry and, and, and engage in violence, and, and that's okay, but, but if you smoke, well, then your, your currency goes down. You can be greedy and gossip and, and do a lot of stuff that the Bible talks a whole lot about, and, and that's okay. That, that's maybe not ideal, but, but it doesn't affect your, your market value much. But if you have the wrong sexual orientation, well, that's going to affect your mar market value significantly. And it, it's totally arbitrary as to how we come up with these things. Uh, you know, it has nothing to do with the Bible. It doesn't reflect biblical values. But it's just part of the fallen world. We evaluate things and we evaluate people and we assign a market value to them and to ourselves. 
These Pharisees here and the religious folks, they have a high market value. In fact, they're at the top of the marketplace, which is why they're so invested in keeping it. The people who are benefit the most from the market value system are the ones who are most invested on maintaining this, the status quo because they benefit from it. And so they're enraged that Jesus is upsetting the marketplace by hanging out with these lowlifes, these people, of, these drachma people, <laughs> these people who don't have much worth. He's supposed to be hanging out with the important people if he's really a messiah or just a decent religious teacher. He's upsetting the marketplace. He's a threat to them. And so Jesus responds to their murmuring with this incredible parable. And the parable, in fact, all three of these parables, the parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, and two lost sons, they're all various ways of Jesus saying, you guys got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. You don't have a true picture of God. You don't have a true understanding of his kingdom which is why you don't understand who he comes for. You don't understand what kind of God is God. You judge these people, tax collectors and prostitutes, according to your self-serving grid of a market value, but you forget the most important fact, the all-important fact, the, the fact that dwarfs every other fact, and that is what these people mean to God. That can't be determined by the market value. It's what the, their significance is what they mean to God, the meaning that God invests them with, how God evaluates them. They may have a low market value in the culture, but God sees something priceless about these people. He sees them as wedding coins that you frenetically look for. They have a limitless worth that's got nothing to do with their market value, nothing to do with what you or anybody else thinks about them, nothing to do with how relatively good or bad they are compared to other people, nothing to do with an evaluating grid. No, no, it's based entirely on, on the meaning they have for God, their creator. And that meaning dwarfs, renders obsolete every other kind of meaning there could be. Their value is associated with one thing and one thing only, and that is that their creator evaluates them as having infinite worth. They are created to express and to receive and to reflect and to participate in the perfect love of God. That's why they exist. That's what they mean to God. In that sense, they're like this, this coin that this lady has lost. In fact, even though this is a parable, there's, there's kind of a literal application of that to our lives if we understand the theology of the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, all who accept the invitation become part of the bride of Christ, right? We're called the bride of Christ. And we, we are, in, in the New Testament sense, the bride that the Father gives to the Son as an expression of love. The world was created for this bride. It, it's, the whole thing is the Father's gift to the Son, expressing the love of the triune God. So we were created to reflect and to be a, a sign of this love affair of the triune God that's been going on throughout eternity. We're created to participate in the love of the triune God, the, the Trinity throughout, throughout eternity. Each of us is, is, is made as the, the central purpose for which God created the world. Each person is made to embody, like this coin, embody the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations of God, this precious expression of perfect love that God is. God's very identity is wrapped up in these coins because they are created to represent who he is. Which is why God gets a little bit crazy when one of them gets lost. It's a little bit crazy. He, he lights a lamp. He sweeps the floor. He overturns the sofa. He turns the whole house upside down because he's got to find the coin. It's so precious. Not because it has any market value. It's a drachma. No, but because it's not just a drachma. This, is, this coin is meant to hang around my neck and, and, and be a constant reminder of the, the love that I have for my spouse. It embodies all of that meaning. 
We've got to know that, that whatever our market value may be, we've got a God. Our creator goes nuts looking for us, searching for us, seeking us. It may be that you don't think you have much market value. Maybe you don't. Maybe you think your market value is low because you have got the wrong color in this culture. Or your market value is low because you're just not very educated. You're just not that smart. Or because you're overweight in the market, you're, it goes up if you're, if you're thinner. And uh, Maybe your market value is low because you're, you, you have disabilities. Or maybe your market value is low because you don't talk right or you don't think right or you don't dress right or you don't do something right. So your market value is tanked. You're a mere drachma person. Oh, now you're not like those diamond people who got a lot of worth, the Oprahs of the world. No, you're, you're a drachma person. Maybe you're, you think your cultural value has gone down because you screwed it all up. Maybe you're one of these people that never achieved much or you never really impressed anybody or you lost whatever sex appeal you used to have or you're one of these folks who just can't seem to hold a job or you fail at everything that you've tried to do and, and, and that makes your currency tank. Or maybe your market value is tanked because, hey, you got pregnant. Uh, you were doing pretty good until then. You got pregnant out, out of wedlock and then, and then your market value went even lower when you had the abortion to try to cover up that problem. Or your market value tanked when you had that affair and blew your religious image sky high and blew your family sky high. Or your market value has gone down because you've got that wrong sexual orientation or because you're drug addicted or because you robbed a bank or maybe you murdered somebody. That would tank your market value significantly. In fact, I, I, I believe that there will be, at some point, if not right away, somebody listening to this message who's in prison. I have gotten some feedback from folks who are in prison and listening to some of these podcasts. Maybe you're like, maybe you are listening to this message right now. You're locked away for committing a terrible, heinous crime. Your, 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 your market value has, has tanked. Maybe you're locked up for life. And it may, in fact, be that you should be locked up for life. Maybe, in fact... You have a debt to society that, re that requires it. Maybe you have a kind of brain chemistry inherited from the fallen world or however you got it that, such that the law needs to protect society from you. That may be. Maybe your market value is that low and you think your life has come to an end. That may be. But you need to hear this parable. This parable. As Jesus' magnificent, beautiful, loud, so what? So what? So what? So what if your market value is tanked? So what if society assigns you a, a value that's even less than a drachma? So what if all the Pharisees of the world judge you harshly? You mean something personally to God. You mean all the world to God. You have a value to God that's got nothing to do with your market value. You, you are created as the embodiment, the embodiment of God's hopes and aspirations for all of creation. You're created. Uh, as a central purpose for which God created the world, you are a gift of love from the Father to the Son. You are a priceless wedding coin that's meant to express and participate in the love of the triune God. And the market doesn't give that to you, and the market can't take that away from you. So what? You may be sitting in prison there for the rest of your life, but you've got to see... And that's got to be painful to have no market value. You know, that, I'm not trying to minimize that, but... But in that situation, in your drachma situation, your minimum wage situation, and whether it's in prison or because society just, you don't meet the criteria to have a high currency. In the middle of that, we've got to see God, our creator, just frantically looking for us. Turn the house upside down. Where's my coin? My coin. I, just turn over the sofas, maybe ripping them open and, and, and sweeping the floor frantically and, and emptying the drawers out. Why? Because you're so precious. You individually are so precious. It wasn't for coins in general. No, it was for this coin. This coin's got such meaning to, to God. 
You have got such meaning to God. You may not have any market value whatsoever, but, we, but, but, but you got to know this. God was willing to die a hellish death to find you his coin. To find you who are his coin. Willing to die. One thing that can keep us from entering into this and receiving it deeply and being transformed by this, because if this gets on the inside, it just changes everything. If it, I mean, it just, it just completely revolutionizes the way we view everything. And the one thing that will keep us from benefiting from this, from, from really just you know, dancing with, with, the, with, with the Trinity as God always intends it throughout eternity, one thing that keeps us from that is our marketplace mentality. The thing that the Pharisees had. The Bible calls it eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Addicted to the market categories. Here's the thing. Uh, We were created to be these coins. We were created to have all of our worth and meaning, and we all crave that. Uh, to To be important, to feel special, to feel favored, to feel loved. All of that was to be given to us for free by virtue of what we mean to God. Our meaning in existence is what we mean to God. And, and that was to satisfy the, the, the cravings in our heart. We were never meant to try to derive a meaning based on how we fare in the marketplace. That was never God's design. Our meaning is, is out of our relationship with God. The meaning that God just gives us as an expression of who he is. We're made in his image. We're meant to express the covenantal love of the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when we sin... And what we individually and as a race have done that, we separate ourselves from that meaning. Now, we still mean that to God, but we no longer see ourselves like that. We don't benefit from this. We alienate ourselves from the meaning we're supposed to have from God. We separate ourselves from this relational worth, this relational worth. But we still have got the hunger, which is why we then try to find our meaning in the marketplace. Where else are we going to go? In fact, that's what creates the marketplace. Since we're not getting it for free, we've got to achieve it. We've got to earn it. We've got, we've got to sell ourselves in the marketplace. All of us are spiritual prostitutes. What am I worth to you? Uh, how much is my body worth? How, how much is my sex appeal worth? How much is my talent worth? How much is my brains worth? And we're just trying to give ourselves some worth. We sell ourselves. We pimp ourselves. That's what, we, that, that, that's, that's what idolatry is. And we have to if we're not getting our worth from what we mean to God. Because we got this, this hunger on the inside of us for meaning and worth. It's what the Bible calls eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why we compulsively compare, we shop, we evaluate, we size up, we're always assessing. It's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We compare, we contrast, trying to give ourselves what God has already given us for free. This is the marketplace. We've uh, talked throughout this series of this contract worldview where we see everything in legal terms. We could also call it now the market worldview. Looking at the world through the hungry lens of our starving soul and what we see are dollar signs everywhere. We assign a value to everything and the value is ultimately what it can do to fill this vacuum inside of me. Everything's got a dollar sign on it. And that's how come every culture in this fallen world evaluates. It's what people agree on. What will be the value of things? We're feeding ourselves. And then when we view God through the categories of this marketplace, well, God becomes the cosmic evaluator. And yes, you guessed it. God becomes sort of a cosmic Alan Greenspan. He's the one in charge of the whole marketplace. We see him as the evaluator of the cosmos. He's constantly watching, assigning value to stuff. 
And it always happens, of course, that God agrees with us. <laughs> How convenient. That, that, you know, our, our, the way we assign value to, is, is the way he assigns value to things. Uh, that, that's how we use his name in vain, to give our own opinions more authority. But, but we view God as this Alan Greenspan God. And, and he's always evaluating, sizing things up. Uh, this has more value than this. I like this, I don't like that. He's the watcher in the sky, the judge in the sky with the scales, always looking at us. You know, I don't know, I, I suspect most of us have at some point in our life had to, had to uh, be alongside of, hang out with somebody who was always judging us. Maybe it was your mother or mother-in-law, or maybe it was your brother, who, your co-worker or whatever. Maybe it was the other people in the church. They're always looking at you. And, and, and there's, they, there's an opinion about every single thing you do. And even when it's a positive opinion, it drives you nuts. Stop looking at me. <laughs> Get a life. Leave me alone. But see, so we, we see God like this. And yet we're supposed to die and want to go to heaven and hang out with him. <laughs> How much fun would that be? Sounds more like hell. See, it's an insulting picture of God. There's nothing beautiful about this Alan Greenspan image of God. And if Alan Greenspan ever listens to this message, I apologize, dude, but, but I don't, don't take it personally. I'm, I'm using an analogy here. This Alan Greenspan God, he would never go looking for a stupid drachma. He would never turn the house upside down and get all frantic and throw a party when he finds a stupid drachma. No, he might do it for a $6 million diamond ring or something, but not a stupid drachma. And Alan Greenspan, he's evaluating some things that are more important than other things, you see. And he, there's nothing beautiful about this picture of God. And that's exactly why the Pharisees are convinced that God agrees with their value system. They're like little, little Alan Greenspans. If you worship the Alan Greenspan God, you become a little Alan Greenspan, little judger. That's what religion's all about. And so these Pharisees are, 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 are sizing things up here, and they're so sure that when God sends the Messiah into the world, the Messiah's going to come to them because they've got more value than these prostitutes and tax collectors and other lowlifes. It's an ugly picture of God. But it's so very, very common, almost universal. And it's why we have trouble believing in more than just a maybe momentary intellectual way. But believing in the core of our being, being confident that God really is this beautiful. That God goes looking for us. That we've got a meaning that maybe we can't even understand. Uh, you know, but it doesn't have anything to do with the market value. We have trouble being transformed by that. We have trouble getting free from the marketplace mindset. Because we view God, God as this, this, this Alan Greenspan sort of God. See if this helps. Uh, follow me on this. Um, because I think this, this little thought reflection I'm going to offer here has the power, if the Holy Spirit uses it. Because, you see, if the Holy Spirit's not operating, I'm not, there's nothing I or anyone else is going to say that's going to free us. The Holy Spirit has got to reveal God. Only God can reveal God. One of the ways you know that the, the truth is the truth is that unless God supernaturally moves in your life, you can't possibly believe it. Your market mindset will say, oh, that's too good to be true, and then you'll go back to your market ways. No, Holy Spirit, help us to see this. But follow this reflection here. If you think about it, all of our economic thinking, that whole marketplace mindset, is predicated on, it's based on a zero-sum game, which means that there's only so much to go around. What I mean is something like this. We only have so much money. I mean, our, the, our money is finite. Some have more than others, but all of it's finite. And that's why we have to shop and compare and evaluate things. We have to. Because we have to decide what's going to have more value to us and what we're going to pay for it because we can't pay for everything. I have to choose between this and that. But the reason is because I don't have enough money to buy both. If we had unlimited amounts of money, well, then money would lose all meaning. Think about it. 
It would lose all meaning. And, and the idea of things costing stuff would lose all meaning. The, 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 all economic thinking is based on a zero-sum game. Now, when we view God through our market categories, we assume that God loves people the way we buy things. Eh, this over this. Uh, he's, he's the evaluator. He's only got so much love to go around. And so he has to evaluate and assess and size up stuff. These people have more value than these people. I, 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 God, the Alan Greenspan God assigns more market value to the holy folks than the unholy folks. More market value to the Pharisees who keep the law than these prostitutes who are always breaking the law. More value to the Christians than to the Islamic terrorists. More value to Mother Teresa than Osama bin Laden. What could be more commonsensical than that? And yet it's an Alan Greenspan image of God. But the reality is, the biblical truth is that God isn't in any sense limited in his love. There's literally no limit to his love. He's an infinite bottomless, limitless reservoir of perfect, unwavering, infinitely intense love. Which means, if he's got limitless love, you can't divide up that love, you can't scale that love, you can't grade that love. It's never more or less. If it's limitless, it's always the same. It's always who he is. And remember, love isn't the verb that God does primarily. It's, It's the noun that he is. He is this love. Infinity divided up by any number is still infinity. Think about it that way. Which is why God, you know, the fact that there's 7 billion people or so doesn't at all take away from the fact that he loves you because you can't divide up. You know, infinity divided by 7 billion is still infinity. Which means this. I, I, I actually, I, I tweeted on this last week. I, I actually tweet now. I didn't know what a tweet was except that a bird, the noise a bird made until, you know, about a month ago. But then so I got this droid because uh, I got it for free, and, and then, then uh, I've been learning how to use it, and then some friends convinced me to tweet, and so I'm tweeting a lot, and I just send out these little messages when, when thoughts come to me, and it's kind of fun, and I, but something came to me, and I put it like this, and I, so here I am, it's kind of weird, I'm quoting myself, but I, it, it came out just right. Uh, it's, I'm saying this, if God's love is in fact infinite, then it can't be fractioned or scaled, which means you are now loved as if there was no other and no before or after. You are now loved as if there was no other and no before or after. Holy Spirit, help us to see this. Right now, this moment, God loves you. If, if, if you were the only thing, only person that God created, and he only had a second to love you, so he had to pour everything into it in that one second, he wouldn't love you any more than, in fact, he does right now. Because you can't fraction up infinity. You can't divide or scale God's love. Holy Spirit, help us to get this. That's why it's a parable of one lost coin. The lady doesn't go looking for coins in, in, in general. Oh, this lady loves drachmas, so she's going to look for, for, for a bunch of drachmas. Some people have this idea of God. Well, of course, he died for humanity. But me, not so much. No, oh, oh, we think like that because we're limited in our love and limited in our understanding. But God doesn't die for humanity in general. No, he dies for you. In particular, let it get in. Dare to believe it. For you in particular, all of the love he is, is poured into one thing. You, right now. Without competition, without comparison, without anything. Jesus tells this parable to blow the market mindset sky high because we'll never, ever, ever get that as long as we're thinking in terms of market. 
the market is based on comparisons, evaluations, contrasts. But when we're talking about God's love, it's got nothing to do with that. He can't be compared and contrasted and, and evaluated. No, he's not Alan Greenspan. God is the lady who's desperately looking for a wedding coin. Gotta find it. And you are that one wedding coin. And as she's looking for that one wedding coin, it doesn't matter how many drachmas there are in the world, this is the coin that matters. And you are the coin that matters. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in prison for having murdered people, you're still God's wedding drachma and he's looking for you. Let him in. Let him in. But it means, it means we've got to, we've got to get rid of this marketplace mindset. Oh, it's so deeply entrenched in us. There, you know, part of us that we, we in, in, in living in the normal world, we've got to do some evaluating and comparing. And, you know, I, I'm not going to trust everyone equally. You know, some people I'll have babysit my grandkids, others, no way. And, and, and we do have to make ideas on what are we going to buy and stuff like that. And that's in the fallen world, that's just how it is. But we must never, 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 when it comes to our worth and other people's worth, and most importantly, who God is, we've got to turn the evaluator button off. And just set it aside. Let, it, let, let Jesus blow it sky high. He's, God is not the cosmic economist. He's the lady who desperately looks for, for the lost coin. He's the God who leaves heaven and becomes a human being and takes upon himself all of our sin and all of our shame. Allows himself to be spit on and whipped and abused and finally crucified, uh, uh, dying a hellish death on the cross. Why? Because he's looking for you. Not humanity in general. You. You. You individually. Let God love you like that. Turn off. If there's any element in your mind that compares and contrasts, when it comes to your ultimate worth, or what God thinks about you, or what God thinks about somebody else, all of that is demonic. All comparisons, all contrasts. We instinctively notice this because we're still in our fallenness trying to give ourselves some worth. No, no, no. We only will get it when we realize that the meaning is in what we mean to God as a precious wedding coin. And we just let ourselves be that. We don't have to understand what he sees in us. We just have to trust that in fact, we're an expression of the love of the Father for the Son. The love, the perfect love of the triune God. Just as money loses all meaning, if you've got limitless money, all comparative judgments lose all meaning once you get the nature of God's love, once you trust that his love is in fact limitless. And every bit of it, every nanosecond is poured out on you as if you were the only one and now was the only moment for it to be poured out. So close your eyes for a moment here. Here's an exercise, a version of this is, is included in the homework that we have for folks uh, out of the gathering area. As you leave, I encourage you to get this and just meditate out on these exercises because this has got to get on the inside. And the Holy Spirit, help us to see this. Can you right now represent yourself as, as somehow this lost coin? You're over here, you're, you're, you're in the corner in the dark. And it's, it's, picture God, in the, in, he's expressed perfectly in Jesus Christ, however this works for you. Holy Spirit, help us to see this vividly and, and, and to sense it vividly. See him frantically looking for you. He's frantically looking for you. Desperate. Like a child that's got kidnapped. Desperate. And you're, you're wondering, what, 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 why is he so bent out of shape? I'm, a, I'm a, just a drachma. I'm a penny. You should spend time looking for quarters or dollars or $100 bills. But I'm just a penny. Why is he so bent out of shape? And then see him just finding you, picking you up. His face is 
radiates. His, the joy is just uncontainable. Because he tells you, he goes, you are my wedding coin. Yeah, I assign such, I, I, I determine I fix such significance on you. My very identity is wrapped up in you. Didn't you know that? Didn't you know that? No, don't compare yourself to quarters. No, it's got nothing to do with that. No, it's, it's, it's what you mean to me. You're my image. You express who I am. And then you hear him say this. Enter into this thought. Holy Spirit, help us. Right now, you alone are the apple of my eye. There is none other. We have a special relationship as though none other existed. So right now, pretend that you're the only thing he created. And this is the only moment that matters. And every ounce of God's perfect love is being poured out on you this moment with a desperation that would be as if there was no tomorrow. Because you can't scale or grade or evaluate the love of God. It's always, he, God's just being himself. He's always perfect love. Let him be himself towards you. Help us to receive it, Holy Spirit, deeply, deeply, and root out, free us from Alan Greenspan images of you, of ourselves, and of one another. To just be an innocent drachma people who receive the infinite worth you pour on us moment by moment. I, I'm just going to let it linger here and uh, close the service that way. Uh, I want to ask the prayer teams to come up, and if you're here and want to pray about this, if you're just having trouble really believing this or you know, sometimes it helps to have people pray around you or if you just want to come up here and pray on your own, you can do that. If you just want to sit and just keep, keep in this image, uh, if God's working on that, just, just enjoy it. Ruth will just keep on playing. Uh, and then when we want to leave, leave. Um, please take the conversation out in the gathering area so that the people who want to stay here uh, won't be interrupted. And remember to support the youth uh, getting the barbecue that's out there. Holy Spirit, help us to just keep on drinking of this forever and ever and ever and ever. Because nothing else matters. Nothing else matters.